This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. said, but whoever desires to become great, you want to be great? Among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. You see, this is, you want to be first in the kingdom of God? Here it is. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus set the example, did not come to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul had no problem identifying as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. There was a time when the disciples were talking about who would be Jesus' greatest disciple. Jesus made it clear that his way was a way of serving people. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will be sharing about what it looks like to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Paul was a great example of this in his life. After he met Jesus, he dedicated his life to building churches and proclaiming the name of Jesus throughout the whole world by serving Jesus. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Titus chapter 1 as he continues his message, Greetings from Paul. Now, the fourth missionary journey, probably some of you may be familiar with it, you don't know it. Uh, the book of Acts, uh, 28 chapters, gave us Paul's three missionary journeys. If you look at the back of your Bible, it does have the missions of mostly every Bible that you have, the map of Paul's missionary journeys. And some of them would have the fourth missionary journey that's not in the book of Acts, but we find that when we compile all the other epistles together. And so it is believed that Paul could have written this while he was in Macedonia, Greece, or in Nicopolis, a city in the coast of Greece. And so here are a few verses just to give you a hint that this is pretty much more or less where he wrote the letter. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes, As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. This is the other pastoral epistle that was written before Titus. And this is the, where Paul is as he's writing 1 Timothy. He's also writing the book of Titus. And then in Titus chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes this. When I, when I sent Artemis to you or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. So more or less, this is the region, Macedonia uh, and Greece. So this is where it's believed. Again, I always say, where the Bible is silent, we stay silent. But if you want to do an investigation, there you go. I don't think any of the scholars found it, but we, we don't know where he, he wrote this letter. So again, in verse 5 of, of chapter 1, he said, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Now, before we get to the when, we're still in the where. Where is the island of Crete? Well, it's the island of Crete is uh, the fourth largest island 
You can see that map there. Fourth largest island in the Mediterranean, uh, Mediterranean, lying approximately 60 miles southeast of Greece, 110 miles southwest of Turkey, and the size is, is, is 160 miles by 36 miles, uh, which is 3,200 square feet. So that is the island. And so this is where Paul is writing this letter to Titus in regards to this island of Crete. And so the letter, when it was written, Crete is still there, by the way. Uh, it's not that expensive, by the way. I kind of did my research and said, wow, it's, it's a nice place. It's still there. The Lord has not taken it off the map. So now that is where, that is Crete. That is how it looks now. The time, when did Paul write this letter to Titus? It is believed that it happened sometime between uh, his Roman imprisonments twice, and that is between A.D. 62 to A.D. 65. Many scholars kind of pin, kind of narrow it down to A.D. 63, shortly after he wrote 1 Timothy. And so finally, we look at the why. Why was this letter written? Again, this letter was written to give Titus instruction and what he should do and what he should teach, which is important. One of the things that a pastor is getting, what he should do, what he should teach. You remember when Jesus told his disciple he was going to be crucified and what the Peter said, I don't know about these guys here, but I'm not going to leave you. Pretty much that's what he said. If you kind of translate in the Greek, he says, I would never leave you. This would never happen to you. Jesus said, well, you know, Peter, that's really nice. Because he was trying to say, I don't know about these guys, but I'm not going to leave. But, you, you know, before the day ends, you're going to deny me three times. Then going to go, you know. <laughs> and by the way, in the, the place where he denied Christ for the third time, uh, there shouldn't have been roosters there because roosters are considered unclean animals. So anyway, that's another story. But remember when Jesus met them at the, after he rose, he resurrected Christ. He meets them at the, at the land. They're fishing. And, this, and this, you know, they're great fishermen, professional. And then you got somebody on the land say, hey, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? And so oh, these guys, these guys, they think they know everything. Monday, Sunday morning, uh, Monday morning quarterback. And yeah, he's, he's on the island. He's going to tell me how to fish. Wait a minute, it's Jesus. So they go meet Jesus. Remember Jesus was eating and he said, Peter, do you love me? Three times. He denied him three times. Jesus, he said, Peter, do you love me? Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Third time, feed my sheep. So that's exactly what the pastoral epistles do. What they're to do is tend the sheep. What they're to teach is to feed the flock. And that's what Paul is writing to him. So what he must do, we saw that in verse 5 again. Look at verse 5. It says, set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every church. That's what you're to do. And what he, he is to teach is the right doctrine, right living. And the right doctrine we'll find in chapter 2. The right living we'll find in chapter 3. With that said, we already looked at the who, what, where, when, and why. Let's now, before we study, look at the chapter outline. The chapter outline is very simple. Chapter 1 is addressed to the leadership of the church. So he's to set that in order. Chapter 2, the right doctrine. Chapter 3, the right living. That is a breakdown of the epistle of Titus 
written by the Apostle Paul, not only was it written to Titus and the people in Crete, but it's also written for you and I today. So we read the text. We looked at the who, what, where, and why. We looked at the outline. Now let us study our text verse by verse. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul begins by saying, Paul, a bond servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so the apostle Paul writes his letter to Titus in typical fashion. He begins first with his name Paul. Paul. Why does Paul always begin, uh, you know, just introducing himself in this letter with his name? Well, in those days, these letters were written in scrolls. They weren't written like in letters the way we have letters. You receive a letter, even before opening the envelope, you already know where the letter's coming from. Who is it from? Also, if you didn't get it in the envelope, you look at the very end sincerely. In those days, that wasn't the case. And so they would have to, if you wrote a scroll in those days to someone, a family member, wishing them a good holiday, giving them good news, they're not going to be happy if they have to roll all the way down on a 24 foot, the average length of a scroll, just to find out who wrote it. And so the good news scroll defeats its purpose. And so that's why Paul begins by writing in the scroll, Paul, and he says, a bond servant of God. Now, usually this is like his business card, if you will, but he's not in business. But, you know, you introduce yourself. Now, Titus already knows who Paul is. He knows he's an apostle. He heard the testimony. He probably was most likely saved by Paul. But he's, he's writing this letter because Paul already knows. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit, knowing that you and I today would read this letter. Who is this Paul? Well, this Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. So if we read Titus' letter today, we know that it applies for Pastor Eddie, Pastor John, and for you and I. So he's a, he's a bond servant. He begins by giving his title of authority. He humbles himself first. He gave his humble title, Paul, a bond servant of God. It's only mentioned here, usually here, a bond servant of God. Usually Paul would write a bond servant of Jesus Christ. But Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all one. Okay? And there's, we don't know why he wrote God, but it's the same. It's, it's, it's addressing to God. So he humbles himself. Unlike today, people like to introduce themselves. Oh, what's your name? Tell me about, well, my name is John Doe. I got my uh, PhD in Philly, and I got my McBLT in McDonald's. And so, you, you know, that's how it is in the West. The West Coast is like that pretty much. Not the West Coast, the Westerners. The Middle Eastern is different. They don't, they don't brag about their education, their titles. They'll say, my name is John. I am the son of so-and-so or the son of... They tell you their genealogy. That's more important to them. But here we say, oh, well, I got a, you know, uh, master's degrees and this and that. And, um, but Paul, you can see here, he's humbling himself. See, the first thing that's important is that I'm an apostle. I, I, am not, not an apostle. I am a bond servant of God. Now, in case you don't know, a bond servant is a slave. It's a slave. And it was very common in those days. As a matter of fact, more than half of the population during Paul's day were slaves. They were slaves. In Paul's day, there were over 60 million slaves. And it's not only slaves that do the hard labor, the dirty work, but even physicians were called 
slaves or, you know, bond servants. And so it could be different titles and different, you know, backgrounds and, and different trades they call slaves. And so Paul identifies himself a slave, but not just a slave, a slave by choice, a slave by choice. A bond servant is one who is a slave by choice. He didn't say a bond, he didn't say a servant or slave. He said a bond servant. In other words, it was by choice that he chose to be a servant of God. Now, just to understand the background of slaves in the Bible, uh, unlike today or past two or three hundred years, when we look at slaves, we always think it's always negative. Not always negative. In, in the Old Testament, there was a law that after a Jewish law that after uh, they had a slave for seven years, seven years on the seventh year, the slave could be set free, set free. However, however, if the slave say, you know what? You know, my master's been really good to me. I love my life here. I love the two-hour lunch breaks, the 401k. I love the medical benefits, vacation time. Forget about it. Why would I want to leave? So he said, I choose to stay. Then they follow the law that's found in Exodus. Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6. It says this, but if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children... I would not go free. The, the reason is if he decides to leave and he has a wife and kids, he has to stay. He says, then his master shall bring him to the judge or the priest. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an owl and he shall serve him forever. So they would take, they say, I, I want to stay with my master. They would take his ear, take an owl and just puncture a hole in his ear against the doorpost. Come on, how can you ladies say, come on, you got earrings. <laughs> oh, it's a pain. I've got another earring up here, you know. <laughs> you know so I've got, I got to get a fifth one. Not just kidding. But that's what they did. So what they would do is they would put an earring. So everybody knew who was a bond servant by looking at the earring. That's a bond servant. He has an earring. He's serving his master. He did his seven years. He chose to stay because his master was good. And so Paul, he identifies himself as a bond servant, which is the lowest position. When we think about a servant, when we think about a slave, it's always the lowest position, according to man, according to the world. However, according to God, the word and the kingdom of heaven is the highest position. It's the highest position. Matter of fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 to 28. Jesus said, but whoever desires to become great, you want to be great? Among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. You see, this is, you want to be first in the kingdom of God? Here it is. Just as the son of man, Jesus set the example, did not come to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul had no problem identifying as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, as a bondservant of God. And he, this, is, this, is, this applies to all of us. If we want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to be first in the body of Christ, in the ministry, be a slave, be a bondservant of God, and start serving. When Jesus went with his disciples and, you know, they all sat down and, you know, they're looking at the youngest. Would it be John? John, the beloved, 
uh, which began following Jesus when he was 15 years old, was at G- with Jesus at the cross when he was 18. But between that time, you know, they're all looking. Peter is looking at Thomas. Thomas is looking at Bartholomew. They're all looking down. His, and his little John, you're the youngest. Uh, we just came from outside. You got to wash our feet. It was always the youngest or the servant of the house that would wash the feet of the guests. And Jesus looking around and said, you have no idea. You've been so polluted by the worldly mentality. And some of us are in the same way. But I've called you to be servants. So Jesus himself, you know, put up his, gird up his loins and, you know, put up his, and got a towel and started washing the feet. And Peter said, no, Jesus. Jesus said, hey, if I can't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll be on here too while you're there. Because we're to serve one another. We're to humble ourselves. So Paul identifies himself as a bond servant. He also now gives his title. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And the word apostle is the Greek word apostolos. It means, it's mentioned 81 times in the New Testament. It means a sent out one, one sent forth with orders. And that's an apostle. Are we apostles, each and every one of us? In a broad sense, yes, we are. However, the scripture does gives us the qualification of an apostle, which does not exist today. And people love to use the title, oh, apostle. And I remember when I was working in the city, uh, one of these reverends, you know, I was, I was I was part of community affairs for the NYPD as a police officer. And I was a liaison between the commanding officer and the community. And I remember this new minister came into the church and came into the priest and wanted to introduce himself. And he gave me his card. I'm, it, the card should be this big because he had a title that big. Doctor, Reverend, Apostle. And I said, what, what should I call you? <laughs> you know what I mean? What should I call you? I mean, by the time I get to your title, you'll be gone. And so people love titles. But the book of Acts tells us who qualifies to be an apostle, I would say a capital A. Like the apostle, you know, oh, the 12 disciples are now apostles because they've been sent out. When they were with Jesus, they were disciples because they were being discipled by Jesus. After Jesus' resurrection, they became apostles. They've been sent out. Go throughout all the nation, preach the gospel, go through Judea, Samaria, and this is the commission I give you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. That's the great commission. And so they were sent out by Jesus because the qualification of an apostle is one who has witnessed the resurrected Christ. And if you have a title apostle on your business card, I want to know, what are you doing to stay alive for 2,000 years? And here it is in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. Remember when Judas committed suicide, he was no longer, and Peter, you know, they started casting lots for the 12th apostle. He says, therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Is anybody alive? No, I don't think. Verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. I doubt there is an apostle today that qualifies based on that verse. Again, men just love titles. They love to be exalted. They love to be looked at. We need to humble. We see here, Paul humbles himself. He said, I'm a bondservant of Christ. He says, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's 
elect. Now we're getting to that election. The doctrine of election. It's interesting, isn't it? Who are the elect or chosen? Another word. The answer is those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. See, that's simple. However, over the centuries, certain Christian denominations, uh, teachers, preachers, scholars, commentators, have been trying to reconcile the doctrine of election. Is it based on the sovereignty of God that you were chosen, or is it based on your free will? Which one is it? Did God choose you, or did you choose God? Did God force you to accept him as Lord and personal Savior? No, he didn't. But the Bible said he chose us. Which one is it? First off, we looked at the sovereignty of God. From the foundation, God has chosen you to be his chosen people. Just like the Jews, by the way. Just keep that. We want to talk about that. Elect and chosen from the beginning. From the foundation. God knows the beginning. And from the end, God has chosen you. And you would say, but wait a minute. I thought I made the decision to accept Jesus Christ. I thought I used my free will. And did not God create me as a free moral agent? Yes, he did from the very beginning. You have the right to choose. It's it's scriptural, as a matter of fact. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, it says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose, choose. You have an option. Choose for yourself this day whom you should serve. When Jesus lamented over Jerusalem, In Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, Jesus said, How often I wanted to gather you as children, as a hen gather her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Free will. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Whoever, not chosen, not the elect, whoever desired to come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever... Not the chosen. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the door is open. The reality is that we all sinners. We all need salvation. God created us all. And God's plan was for us to have eternal life in the very beginning. So yes, God created us as free Moral agents, he didn't create us as robots. He did not force us to accept them. Is anybody was forced to come here to church today? And those of you who are saved, were you forced to accept Jesus Christ, the Lord, personal Savior? No, you were not. Free will. But we have the sovereignty of God. God elects and chooses those. So you would say, which one is it, Eddie? Is it the sovereignty of God that has given me eternal life that makes me right with God? Or is it my free will? Short answer, bold. Long answer, bold. We're so glad you decided to join us here today on Running the Race. Pastor Eddie is making his way through the book of Titus in this series. In Titus chapter 3, Paul holds up a mirror to show us who we were and are in reality. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Isn't it extraordinary all that God has done to turn your life around? Running the Race is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel of Milford. And here's Jessica with an invitation just for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Thanks, Jessica. Head over right now and start exploring all the resources available to you. And we'll see you here next time for more on Running the Race.